Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where doctors are strange. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. That's why I didn't finish a PhD. It's not exactly what I meant, but okay, we'll go with it. Today we're talking <laughs> about Doctor Strange, if you couldn't tell from the intro. Um, both of us saw it. I mean, we're still both big into the MCU, so we yep. wanted to see it right away and then talk about it right away. And I wasn't sure about this one going in. Um, basically, like where I'm coming from is that I like Benny Batch. Sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch. I just it's easier to just call him Benny Batch, and it's more fun anyway. I like it's Benny true, Batch. It's fun to say. Um, but like I had no connection to the main characters or the story of Doctor Strange. Like um, I I haven't read read nearly as many comic books as you, but the ones that I have read that have these big crossovers, he just kind of comes in and he's super powerful. Yeah, pretty much. That's 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 what I like about him, though, okay. is that he kind of stays in the background that that while he does have his own series and he does his own thing and, and mythology and all of this. I've always just really, really loved that whenever something goes wrong, you know that Doctor Strange is there and watching it and that it's not going to get too far out of hand. Yeah. So, like, I didn't have much connection to the story or the characters, but I did like the actors and then I'm just invested in the MCU. So I was like, yeah, of course, I'm going to see it. But you said you're kind of coming from the other side, right? Yeah. Like you I'm, really like the characters, and you said you like Doctor Strange. I really like Doctor Strange. I've always really liked the character, and I think part of it for me comes in with I've always loved like fantasy settings and magic, so that feels more natural for what I liked in terms of just literature. So I like the sorcerer, sorcery, and stuff like that. And then, but I don't really, I, it's not that I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch, it's just that I'm not this raging fanboy boy like so many people are that that he's fine the stuff that i've seen him in he has been a very good actor but i haven't really understood the like just fanaticism that goes around him he has a fantastic voice and he's a really good actor but i've never seen him in anything that except for dr strange because it really did make me like him so much more in this movie but i've never seen him in anything that really made him stand out more than anybody else and i haven't watched all of sure Sherlock, but at the same time, what I did see of it is just like, okay, he's a good actor. He's he plays Sherlock in a really, you know, kind of neurotic, weird, cool way. But that's that's just kind of how I've always felt about Benny Batch. Yeah, I like him a lot more than you. I wouldn't say I'm a raging fanboy or whatever you said, but I, I do yeah. like him as an actor. Um, so let's get into just like non-spoilery, just kind of overview, right. top level thoughts, so that people can listen to that if they haven't heard the movie yet, and then pause and come back later. So generally. I liked it. Um, it didn't feel like anything else in the MCU. Uh, and because of that, maybe, I feel like I have less thoughts about it in general than like when we covered Civil War. Um, okay. I had so many thoughts about like superheroes and how they all interconnect and stuff. Like this felt like it was very much, it, it's in the setting, right? It's in the MCU setting, but it's in its own separate thing. And it's not immediately apparent how it's going to get ingrained into all of the other superheroes and stuff. Whereas even like Ant-Man, once you started to see the power set and like the beginning of the movie, you kind of saw the trajectory of how it was going to go, you know, and this one, that wasn't the case. So I liked it a lot, but it felt different and less superhero-y, which is probably good at this point. They're not all feeling the same. But yeah, yeah, I just kind of liked it. And I'm not exactly sure. I've been trying to you know, put my thoughts together on it because I knew we were going to talk about it. I'm just having more trouble having complete thoughts about Dr. Strange. I'm kind of the same way when it comes to having the complete thoughts that I really want to see it again before I try to rank it in my mind in terms of, you know, I do. It is obviously better than Thor of the Dark World. So there is that, you guys who are wondering. Um, it is way better than whatever you think the worst of the Marvel movies is. And uh, I think it's better than Age of Ultron, but we won't touch on that again. And um, it's it's one of my favorites, I think, and I think the reason that it's going to be one of my favorites is because it's so different, that I got really tired of the superhero movie thing for a while. I've been kind of just almost burned out on the superhero thing, so for me, seeing something that it's so different, it's so I don't even know how to put it that it, it it feels like a good thing that there is something completely different in the MCU because now we have the space side of things with Guardians of the Galaxy where with Thor coming in with almost the the cosmic aspect of it with the different realms and I think that Doctor Strange is going to kind of combine both of these and and 
coming in kind of like a mediator to bring all of the different aspects together, which is kind of how the character works in the comics. Yeah, and we know he's going to be in Infinity War. Yeah, they had announced that a while back, and I think that he's going to be maybe the Adam Warlock type character because they haven't introduced him yet. And even though they showed his cocoon in what was the movie? Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. For some reason, the name just left my brain. They showed Adam Warlock's cocoon in the background with him not being an established character. I kind of wonder if they're going to use Doctor Strange as that super knowledgeable kind of intermediary that that leads that cosmic charge against Thanos. Yeah, and I wonder, like one of the things I liked about this movie is that it's straight up magic, right? Whereas everything else in the MCU up to this point has been technology or like it's basically science in some way or another. You know, like if you look at the comics, from what I've read anyway, even like Thor and Asgard and stuff, those are magic in the comics. But in the MCU, they're not. In the MCU, they are like super advanced science that's indistinguishable from magic for us as humans, right? But it Uh still has this grounding in science. So everything, even if it seemed magical up to now in the MCU, was actually based in science somehow. And this movie throws all that out the window and it says no there's magic here it is it's magic it's possibly more powerful than any other power from anyone else we've seen and that's kind of interesting that he could come in and like you said he could be a mediator or something because he's just so powerful because he has straight up magic and no one else does and one of the things that i like about it is that even though it's magic and it does call it magic you guys that's not even a spoiler it's magic and I think that one of the ways that it's still grounded in science like the others is it still talks about the multiverse. It talks about things that are physics-based, where there is that scientific background. They're just tying into it a different way, that that they're using sp- almost spirituality and mind over matter stuff to be able to tie in and just reach in and use this power and draw from these different dimensions. But at the same time, when they're introducing the character and all of this to the audience, they're still using something that, especially in our world, and that they've already established in the rest of the MCU as being fairly physical, I guess is the word, the the physics based quantum based you know multiverse that they're talking about yeah yeah for sure and i think we should start getting into some spoiler territory so if you haven't seen the movie this is where you pause and come back after you've seen it um unless you're not going to see it then whatever just listen to us anyway this is Um, true so uh, first of all the visuals in this i usually wouldn't focus too much on visuals and cg and stuff these days because generally it's just kind of good across the board if you have a big budget movie but the visuals in this were like a step above they were amazing they like that is the thing i walked out of the theater just blown away by is what they did visually with this and it was kind of like it it was kind of like matrixy inceptiony uh-huh. mixed together with mcu mixed together with magic and it's it's something that we've never quite seen before you know i loved when they went into like the mirror dimension yes, or the mirror world whatever they called it yeah and then they started um when they would like manipulate the environment and you would see like copies of the same thing almost like tessellate out mm-hmm. into more i don't even know how to describe it but i mean if you've seen the trailers you've seen a little bit of it and you kind of know what i mean but once you watch the movie like they take that to the extreme and it's so so cool and it's almost overwhelming to watch at times that I had the same thought that you did when I first saw the the scene where they started doing that tessellation that it felt like the Matrix. When I was watching it in 1999, it's kind of how I felt watching Doctor Strange this time. Like, oh man, they're just they're just doing cool things with the world. And then as it kept happening, as the the fight scenes got more intricate, as they started using more advanced parts of that magic, it really it almost got overwhelming to watch and try to follow where you couldn't focus on any one thing that was happening. You just kind of had to sit back and let it happen and observe it. And I really liked that. And I'm very glad that I saw it in 2D because of it. I think 3D may have been overwhelming and like just made me fall out of my seat and like destroyed my brain somehow. Oh, man. Yeah, I I don't like 3D movies in the first place, but this one would be especially like it would i feel like it would just hurt your head with how much stuff they had going on like even seeing it in 2d i saw it with my wife and my wife said that 
in some of the fight scenes and some of the action scenes with the mirror world, she would just close her eyes because she literally couldn't keep up with it. Because and right. I, I understand why. Like there were parts where I lost my bearings, you know, like not knowing who is going where and like how it's all interlaced because it's so trippy and it's almost like um like MC Escher type of thing. Like mm, yeah, it's that's just... what I was gonna say. It felt like a 3D moving MC Escher painting. Yeah, that was way more advanced than any of like you see those gifs on the internet where it's they have that moving, but it's not like that. Like this is. This is taking that to an extreme where I am terribly impressed with the visual artists and the people who choreograph those fights and being able to direct that because I don't understand how anyone could make that. Like my brain doesn't work in such a way that any of that made sense to be able to do it on a computer with visual effects. Yeah, and I've read some stuff about the visuals before seeing it. They said that basically what they're doing now wouldn't have been possible about two or three years ago. So they are like actually pushing the edges of visual effects with what they're doing in this movie. Um, The other thing that was really cool that I read about was, you know how there are people who like professional dancers and stuff that do like pop and lock type of yeah. thing. Um, there's a subset of those that do pop and lock style, but it's only with their hands and their arms. Okay. Have you seen those ever on like dancing shows or dancing competitions? No, not okay. with just their hands. Yeah, I've seen that just because my wife watches some of those, and so I've caught them, you know, by walking by or whatever. They're very yeah. impressive, but like pro- professionally, what they do are like arm and hand, like pop and lock is kind of the best way I can describe it. I don't actually know what it's called, but that'll get you in the ballpark. Okay. They hired groups of those professionals to come teach their actors what to do with their hands for the magic in this movie. And I think oh, it shows because cool. the like you can make a magic movie where the hand gestures do not line up with the the actual like visual effects that come out of it. Yes. And this one they totally do. It all works together extremely well. Yeah, there was nothing that felt hokey about it. There was no just, you know, there it, it's kind of I think that it's a uh, Howard Taylor from the Writing Excuses podcast who talks about hand wavium that uh it's just like, "Oh, I'm waving my hands and something happens." It never felt like that. When they were casting these spells, it was almost tangible the way that the energy was coming out when they had their hands in those particular positions. Yeah, it felt visceral sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about when um when dr strange is like he puts his hands together in almost like claw-like way and he pulls them apart and there are like strands of gold uh-huh. between them that's you what know i was what I'm thinking of about, too right? and then he like he doesn't quite have a fully formed weapon or spell or whatever but he uses it and he swings it around anyway it, like it just felt like it had weight to it in a way yes. that was super impressive it's like almost like i could feel as a kid when i put my fingers in like gak and pulled it apart if you remember Gak, the Nickelodeon yeah. Gak or Flome, that's kind of what it felt like to me watching it. That would be the sensation that was in my head of putting my hands in slime and pulling it apart is really what it felt like. And it's weird to, to talk about a tangible physical touch when you're watching a movie, but that's what it felt like. It's just weird to talk about visuals for this long. You know, in, in the modern day, we're kind of just we expect good visuals, but this one was a cut above. Like we're, no, we're almost question. desensitized to those yeah. visuals. Yeah. Okay. So beyond that, what were like your favorite parts of the movie? I think both of us. We talked about this a little. I love the cape, and you did oh, too, man, right? His cape. Oh, it's so cool. Like, I had heard going in that his cape was going to be kind of like a dog, was the way that I, they had put it. And I really liked that idea. But seeing it, like when the cape, when the collar just came up and wiped away his tears, it was like, oh, the cape loves him. That's so sweet. I want a cape that loves me. Oh, and I like the part where it was like fighting with him almost. Like he wanted to do one thing. And the cape was like, no, no, no. Do this other thing no, instead. Do this. And they were, I'm smarter yeah. than you. Yeah, I loved that when they're kind of going opposite directions because they weren't really working together yet. I, I thought that was amazing. It was. It was super well done. That that one thing that the MCU has done, I think, incredibly well, and that other movies have tried not really not really succeeded at, is giving inanimate objects personalities. That in Iron Man, there was the, I can't even remember the name of it, but there was the the robot that he kept in his, in his garage that was always doing stuff and handing him 
stuff, it was laughing at him at times. It was joking with him, and it felt like it had a personality. And that's the way that this cape was as well, that it was, this cape has a personality, and from the very beginning, you know exactly what it is, and it's going to be a bigger part of those movies. I feel that's not quite just comic relief, is that it's almost a teacher to him, like when he did the stuff with the zealot that I can't remember his name. I just want to call him Dormammu, and I know he's not. Mads Mikkelsen's character, when he threw the uh, the armor stuff on him that kept him immobilized. Yeah, yeah, it was it was cool. I, I thought the cape was very well done. So it'll be interesting to see if they keep doing that in the future or if they're kind of like a team now and they don't really bring it up again. But it yeah. it played so well and like it gave some good humor too when you needed a little bit of comic relief in there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep doing stuff with the cape as they bring Doctor Strange back for other movies. I think so, yeah. Um, the other part that I loved that was probably my favorite part of the movie was the confrontation with the final boss with Dormammu um yep. the the way that he ignores like the obvious fight on the ground that you think is going to happen between him and the other guy with the crazy eyes and yep. instead he goes and he flies into that like dark dimension and takes on Dormammu and he puts him in a time loop and it's i just loved it he just gets killed over and over and over but he has him trapped because he's looped time in a place that doesn't have time and it it was just this super clever way to do a final confrontation that didn't feel like the same confrontation we've seen a million times between superhero and supervillain you know exactly that was my big problem with ant-man that ant-man felt like iron man one but was just a little bit different and that was one of the things you know what yellow jacket's gonna do you know that they're gonna have this fight you know that that's the big problem i think in iron man one and thor all of these where there's just this almost evil version of them that they're fighting and then you get to dr strange and he never fights the big bad guy the big bad he beats because he's smarter and tricks and that's the kind of character that i I've always really connected with the one who can outsmart the villain. I mean, that's why I've always liked Batman is because he's the world's greatest detective. That's why I like Ben on Lost is my favorite character because he's smarter than everybody else. And then you have Stephen Strange here who is just he outsmarts this dark god by like you said bringing time into a place that doesn't have time and it's it's fun to watch you're never expecting or at least i wasn't i was never expecting him to punch this big demon in the face i was like i was never even really expecting any magic to be thrown at that point because it's just like that's not who he is as a character. Yeah, yeah, it worked super well for me. I, I love the time loop. And then actually, like you said, he never fought the guy they set up as the big bad, but they did. They had that really cool fight scene where he was reversing time and everything was repairing itself, but him and the other guys were pulled out of time so they could fight while the background oh, was see, like I repairing Dormammu. itself. He never punched Dormammu in the oh. face or actually fought him. Yeah, he fought the Mads Mikkelsen guy, the, yeah. the zealot. Yeah, yeah, cool. But, I mean, there were so many cool scenes and so many good visuals. And I really like Tilda Swinton. I mean, I had heard a whole lot of controversy when they cast this movie that instead of having an Asian playing, you know, an Asian, that they made Tilda Swinton the, one of the most androgynous white people in the world playing the ancient one and you know despite that despite knowing that it was supposed to that that's not the i don't even know it's not the ethnicity but even though that's not the background and the identity of that character i think that she still pulled off the feeling of the ancient one by bringing in you know it had this eastern philosophy that was still pretty basic and skewed from you know actual you know eastern spirituality and, and it kind of combined a lot of different belief systems and philosophies but it was still different from what the rest of the mcu did it tried to touch on different aspects of spirituality and i really liked that i felt something for her 
in this role that a lot of times you have the 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 mentor the wise old person that you know you have Gandalf you have Dumbledore who are all very similar in how they're leading the hero and teaching the hero and she felt different to me than that so I really appreciated it how it was not just the typical high fantasy style of mentorship that she was doing things that were just different than in the MCU yeah I I, I thought she was fine, but <laughs> like afterwards, thinking back on it, it's like why couldn't they just find a good Asian actor? Because because yeah. they could. There are plenty of great Asian actors out there. Like, and the MCU, they haven't done too bad with diversity. They they need to do better though. They need like, to do better. They don't have enough women in general, and uh, we're finally starting to see like more minority stuff with like Black Panther and the Black Panther cast. We'll see how that one ends up being, but it, it's looking positive from the outside. But I mean. As, as like a white male suburban guy, I get really sick of seeing other white men on screen. Yeah, like, I know, I really I, do. I've seen it so many times. Please give me diversity because it's more interesting for me, even though I am not a minority and I know that, like I don't have that perspective, but I would love to see that perspective on screen and they they don't do that enough. And it, it, this is one of those roles where you see it and it, it works fine if you don't think too hard about it. But exactly. when you're looking at the role, like, why wouldn't you put a diverse actor here? This is the perfect place to do it. And they didn't, you know, that's the part that bugs me. Like, this is the perfect place to do it. And they didn't. Yeah, it, it seems like this would be the almost default that you have a, an Asian character who can play this and you don't get an Asian actor doing it. And that's actually one of the issues that I have with Iron Fist coming up on Netflix, that the trailer, I don't like Loris Tyrell playing Iron Fist. I look at him and that's... It just doesn't feel right. He's not in the trailer, at least. And maybe in the show, I will buy in completely. But I really get tired of the white savior narrative. And it's it feels like that's what Iron Fist is going to be. And I don't want that. That Marvel is better than that. We as a society are better than that. I mean, not to get too political. But I mean, you look at this kind of media, you look at how well Marvel has done in other aspects of it, you know, with the Black Panther and the casting in that movie that like you said we'll have to wait and see how it actually pans out but why would they not cast asian people in these roles as far as iron fist goes like i i really try to reserve judgment until i've actually seen the work that comes out so we don't know what that's going to be we've only seen right. a trailer just like i didn't try to judge the ancient one from any of the doctor strange trailers i waited until i saw the movie completely before i weighed in on it because yeah. sometimes uh it's easy to get overzealous about like this should be this character or this actor or that's a bad casting and then you see it and it works but i I understand your reservations and it might totally pan out that way i just until we see it like i don't really want to weigh in on it or one way or another I may completely buy in whenever it's on there. I may be like, all right, they did a good job on casting this, but it's still like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't like the trailer to Iron Fist and that may be part of what's doing. It's like, "Mm, boy, this looks like the kind of movie I wouldn't watch. Yeah. Well, okay. So back to like favorite parts of the MCU. Um, I'm glad that she worked for you for the ancient one. But the other thing you had mentioned to me, which in hindsight, I liked it a lot too, was that OR fight with the astral projection. It took me completely by surprise. It was like I did not expect to have these this like 3D inception style like just floating like fist fight in in the OR that was interacting in funny ways with the with the real world where it would it Rachel McAdams played it so well in so many of the so many of the scenes because she played it just not even as a straight man she didn't play the straight person it was the that she was just reacting to this stuff that was different and so you have have this him come through halfway into the real world as an astral projection with the really pretty crystalline outline that you don't expect and she reacts well to it and then all of a sudden he's like all right i gotta go goes back into the astral plane and just starts fighting with this zealot who is doing the same thing and just flying through the hospital and it's just it's fun it was a fight scene that i didn't expect and that wasn't just another superhero fight scene yeah that was a that was a really fun fight scene and then actually 
after it, when he goes back through the portal, and she like doesn't believe him when he's talking uh-huh. about all the crazy things he's doing, he goes back through the portal, and she kind of looks just stunned. My favorite laugh of the entire movie happened there. They got the whole theater that I was in laughing. The mop? The mop. The mop that <clears throat> falls after it's kind of like this dead silence while she's just processing, and then the mop falls and she screams like... I laughed so hard when that happened. It caught me totally by surprise. Yeah, my wife and I did too. We were we were just sitting there and just I cackled at that point because it's it's silly humor, but it worked so well at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in terms of other things to talk about for the movie, I wanted to just touch on the overall structure again because this is another origin story. And right. you guys probably know by now that like origin stories I don't like them very much because they don't hold up as much to rewatching. They kind of feel more and more boring the more you watch them because you know the origin story. Like we've talked about this before, you know, like everyone knows Batman's parents are dead. You don't have to redo it. Um, (laughs) I understand Doctor Strange is different because most people don't know him. I didn't know him very much. Yeah, my wife knew nothing about him, so she needed that origin story in this. Yeah, and I honestly kind of did too. I'm just glad that they didn't spend too much time with him as a doctor, which is what I was really worried about going in. Um, They they spent enough time there, but I don't think it was too much. It didn't feel like the majority of the movie was that, you know? And I liked the doctor part. And I think that's because it's interesting to me to see the character change. So I thought they did a pretty good job of him. I don't even want to say it was the doctor part. And and I think it was the not doctor, not sorcerer yet. I thought they did a good amount, spent a good amount of time on him not being the sorcerer supreme yet. That before he got into magic at all. See, I liked the part after he had his accident when he was on his journey i thought that was very interesting that was very cool it was just the part before the accident where i was like okay i get it he's a doctor he's arrogant like you don't need to spend so much time on it which i know they kind of do to establish the character but i know when i watch this movie a second time much less a fifth or sixth time that's the part where i'm just going to be bored is the whole part leading up to him having the accident. And then after that, the rest of the movie is interesting to me. Um, The first time it was fine because it establishes him as a character, but like just seeing him be that arrogant doctor, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Move on. You know, but that's, that's me. That's my inclination towards not liking origin stories in general. Um, That's just coming out in this way. And Jennifer was, when we were watching it, she kept asking me, is this what he's like in the comics? Is he that much of a jerk in the comics? Does he ever get better than this? Because she hates mean-spirited people. When it started out, it felt like an episode of House to her, she said, and she cannot stand watching House because she hates the kind of character where they're mean, they're bad, everybody treats them well because, oh, they're, they're so smart, they have to act this way and it's like they overlook them being legitimately terrible people and so she asked me does he ever become nicer and i'm like yeah that's part of the whole story and i mean he's still gonna be this guy who he is at core at his core but he learns through you know training and all of this that other people are other people and she was like okay good because i can't stand this where they they at least establish the character well enough to to elicit an emotional response yeah, for sure. And it does get better. Like I said, as soon as he has that accident, the rest of it becomes much more interesting for me. I did want to mention one of the Easter eggs that I caught. I didn't catch a whole lot because I don't know Doctor Strange that well. Right. But um, when he is in the car on his way to the talk before <laughs> he has his accident and uh-huh. he um, he gets the I know cell exactly phone what call. you're going to talk about. Yeah, too. He gets that yep. cell phone call about all the cases that he could take. Yes or no. And he starts rejecting them based on like no that's too hard i don't want to lose my record or no that's too easy one of the cases that comes through is for roadie it's for war machine after civil war after he had Mm -hmm. that accident and he got paralyzed like i don't know if anyone else caught it but i'm guessing you did because you knew i did and when i heard that it was a really really fantastic way i thought to both tie in the rest of the mcu to show that these are in the same universe as well as you know the opening shot that i think you mentioned of you know avengers tower when it shows the cityscape of new york and it had that and then with the war machine thing it was like this gives us a timeline this shows us where this falls in terms of all of the other 
uh, the other stories. So we know that when he comes into Infinity War, he hasn't been doing this for 15 years like Batman had in Batman versus Superman, where it's, you know, he hasn't already had his entire career of doing this, that this isn't at the same time, you know, right after the Avengers got together. It's like, no, this is after the fallout of Civil War. So we know that he is going to be dealing with these same things that chronologically we know where it is. Yeah, chronologically, he's basically right where we are, which is great. The the movies have come out basically in the same timeline, and they've been good about that ever since uh, there was some point where they finally like unified all of them into the same correct timeline. It was sometime around like Iron Man two. There okay, were some movies. Yeah, there. Uh, if you look at the actual timeline, there are a bunch of movies that overlap right around Iron Man two, and. Uh, I think it's like Thor 1 and Iron Man 2, something like that. There are a bunch that happen in a very compact period, and they did that so that they could kind of line everything back up. And oh, then yeah. Okay. After that point, wherever it is, um, they basically, the the in-universe like timeline is the same as the timeline for the way the movie's released for us to watch, which makes it a lot easier to kind of process and stay like in the know about where you are. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't even really thought about it like that because but you're absolutely right i didn't think that as they're going out chronologically that that's how we're getting them as well that i think that it was guardians of the galaxy that kind of messed me up with that because it's so disconnected from the other stuff right now that because it ha- it didn't even touch on the rest of the marvel universe that it kind of messed up my interpretation of the timeline which is weird but it really did and well i thought that the post credit scene with him and Thor, that was the thing that grounded me in the MCU more than anything else. Because he basically is talking to Thor, and it sounds like it's the setup for Thor Ragnarok to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because we knew that that was going to be a movie with Thor and Loki and Hulk, right? Like, yes. those are kind yeah, of our main characters for Thor Ragnarok. And that little talk between Strange and Thor it gave us more of the premise. It sounds like the premise is it's a hunt for Odin because Odin is missing um, and Doctor Strange is going to help. So I hope that he makes a cameo in the movie. It seems like he will now. I don't think they would have that scene if he wasn't, which excites me because I want to see more of this character. But yeah, I think I want to see more of that character. So I think them showing that it excites me because I like Doctor Strange so much at this point. And I don't think he'll have a big scene. He'll have a I don't think he will have a huge impact on the story or, you know, a long arc in it. But I think they're going to have him in there just to show, hey, yeah, he's helping out doing this with Odin or have when they come to New York or something like that. And then the only other thing that I really wanted to mention from the movie was the Infinity Stone. That took me totally by surprise. But it me might too. Just... OK, OK, because I don't know much about the Infinity Stones or that storyline or Thanos. Like, I've never read those comics. So yeah. when they said that you don't want to walk around with an infinity stone around your neck when they were talking about his time manipulation necklace at the end. I was like, Agamotto. Yeah. I was like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's super powerful. But I just like, it, it actually surprised me, which is good because a lot of the other infinity stones, it was like, Oh, that's an infinity stone. It's obvious. <laughs> you know, they'll reveal it eventually. And that was the thing. in in uh, I guess it was the Avengers that I was like, yep. Loki staff, that's an Infinity Stone. I knew it from the beginning. And then you have, obviously, where they're getting the Infinity Stone and Guardians and doing all of that. But this one really did take me by surprise because it never even crossed my mind that it was going to be the Time Gem. That it should have, as somebody who knows a little bit about it. But not one time when I was watching this did I see the Eye of Agamotto as being being the Time Stone. Because... They've tied so much stuff into magic earlier in the movie that I didn't even think about it being anything other than just a relic. Yes, exactly. Any other final thoughts on the movie? I want to watch it again is really my biggest thought on it that they couldn't have cast it any better that I thought every single person was well cast, even if it wasn't the appropriate casting. Chiwetel Ejiofor, or however you pronounce his name, was absolutely fantastic as uh, Baron Mordo, that he did a a great job, and I've loved him in every single movie I've seen him in since Serenity, where he was playing the operative, and he is wonderfully scary he is terrifying when he's a bad guy and he is so friendly and lovable whenever you see him as your friend in a movie and i say your friend is because he feels like your friend and then like 
he's got that that grace and class of the kind of villain that you want to watch and that you know he is following and and he's he's the kind of villain that you watch that has this level of class that it feels like you know he's doing what is right in his own mind that he's not megalomaniacal he is not psychotic he is following his principles even if you don't agree with it where you don't ever feel as though he is a threat to you because he is terrifying and like he's not the joker but you watch him and you're like, oh, I'm scared of him because he is planning out every last thing because he believes in this. And that makes him even more scary that he's wonderful in serenity. And I loved him in this. Yeah. And I think it really worked for me because I don't know the Doctor Strange story at all. So I right. didn't know that like I looked it up afterwards and he's a villain. Right. Yeah. But I didn't know that going in. So I didn't see him as a potential villain until that very final post credit scene and i was like whoa he went rogue what's going on so i went home and i googled it and then it's obvious like oh he's one of the villains that dr strange goes up against so they basically yeah. set it up so that whenever they have dr strange 2 whatever that ends up being he can be the main villain and it could be exactly really good. and the same thing happened to jennifer when we were watching it she was like so is he always a villain and i was like oh yeah and you you know you know from the beginning he's going to be a villain if you know anything about the about the story she's like i got nothing from that i got nothing that he was going to be until he did and i think that's a wonderful way of casting and acting and writing that as you're watching it if you know it like like if you're you're me or you're rob you see him going down that path throughout the movie that there's always that bit of darkness kind of seeping in where his his beliefs are being questioned and coming into question and then in that post credit scene you see why you see what it all came to but if you don't know it like you and like Jennifer where it's like oh oh that's a good idea that it, it still makes sense, but on further rewatch, you can watch it and see it making more sense. Yeah, it's just cool that they're finally getting to some of these lesser known heroes that it's not this huge cultural thing. Like we all understand Batman and Spider-Man yeah. and Superman. Like now that we're getting out to some of the I wouldn't call this like the absolute fringes of the comics, but oh, this no. is this is off the beaten path finally. So there are a lot more people that don't know what to expect and that makes for fun in a movie you know when you yes, can't predict the whole thing and I, I think that was one of the reasons i liked it a lot was that i couldn't predict it like some things i could i mean you you've seen enough stories you've seen enough movies like you understand how stories work oh but yeah there were there were enough things in here that i couldn't just guess ahead of time that it made it a lot more fun for me which always makes it more fun. I'm not the, I've never been the kind of person when I'm watching any kind of movie, I don't want to figure it out early. I don't want to sit there and know what's going on so that I can look at the people I'm with and be like, oh yeah, I called that at the beginning because that removes the fun for me. I don't try to solve the mystery in a, in a murder mystery. I don't try to figure out the twist in an M. Night Shyamalan movie because I want to be surprised. I've paid my money to spend two hours of my life being entertained I don't want to be cynical throughout the rest of the movie. And see, the way my brain works, I can't help but work a problem that's put in front of me. So mm. most movies I predict before the end. And that's just the way it is. It doesn't mean it's a bad movie or that I don't enjoy it. But when there's one that actually does things that surprise me, I, I just enjoy it so much more because of that. So yeah, I can okay. see that. Yeah, we both like Doctor Strange a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, I do want to see it a second time at some point. I might wait for it to come out on video, though, just because getting a babysitter and stuff takes a lot of work. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, with that, uh, we still have our geeky offer of the week before we get into other stuff. So if you haven't tried Gamefly yet, we still have GameflyOffer.com slash geek. You can get Gamefly games. It's just a game rental service. They send them to you in the mail. You send them back in the mail. It works like Netflix DVD plans used to. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. So Gamefly offer of the week slash geek. If you're interested, you can get like a free month. Besides that, we also have a last call for Q&A. So we're doing our kind of Ask Me Anything style show. We're going to record it probably next week because then yeah. we can kind of take a week off for Thanksgiving. So get any last questions to us, send them to our Twitter at geek to geekcast or jump on the subreddit, which is slash r slash geek to geekcast And there's a thread that's pinned at the top of the subreddit where you can leave them. And I've been checking every couple days. I'm adding them all to a list. So we will be recording that soon. Get any questions you have to us. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be necessarily geeky. It doesn't necessarily have to be about video games or movies. If you 
you want to know something about us, we've had personal questions, things like that asked. So whatever it is you want to know about uh, me and Void, let us know. We'll do our best to answer them. Yeah, and with that, it's time for our weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you have this week? Uh, Okay, so mine's really weird what I've been geeking out about this week. I've thought about it, and I realized that with quitting my job, my mind has been on money. The entire week, like I've hit that point in my where I've got that phase in my life now where I'm, oh, my goodness, what have I done? So my mind has been on money and, you know, paying the bills and all of that. So I my friend told me about an app called Acorns. Have you ever heard of it? No. I like it that that I've been using an app called Capital for a while, Q-A-P-I-T-A-L, that rounds up any of your expenses. That if you spend seven ninety five on whatever it is that you buy, it rounds up that nickel and puts it in a savings account for you. That's just off to the side in this app that you can withdraw like a PayPal account. And when I told him about this, he's like, oh, yeah, I've been using Acorns for that. And I was like, what's Acorns? And... It turns out that it's the same thing. It rounds up all of your purchases, but it also then invests them in like mutual bonds and stocks and and mutual funds and stocks and bonds and things like this based on your criteria. So you are then earning interest and investment on it and you eventually get dividends as you add up and put more money in. So you can put a recurring investment of however much you want per month or per week. And then if you want to, and then you can can have it round up all of your purchases so anytime it gets to a five dollar threshold it invests that and so you're going to be able to make money on it and it's just interesting to me and every little bit helps and i and i will we've been looking to invest and so this is a very small way of starting out that you're probably not going to lose money on it that i'll I haven't missed any of the money that has come out with it being such small, small increments that as I've been using capital and now this, we don't even think about it because you're getting you're you're literally getting nickel and dimed as it goes through that it'll add up over time for your benefit. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like one that I would want to check out. I, I will actually definitely check it out after this and it's just really take a cool. look at it. Yeah, it sounds sweet. Um, For me, I'm... I'm actually approaching like the end of what I wanted to accomplish with my Gamefly subscription. Now that I've had it for like it's getting close to three months, I've been through almost fifty games, and That's I was insane. kind of well. I turn them around super fast. I know um, you do. And uh, so I started with like the two game plan, and then I moved up to the three game plan so I could turn them around faster. But um, yeah, I'm I'm getting to the end here and. I'm almost ready to cancel it and then wait another six months to do it again, you know, or maybe even longer. Yeah. Um, kind of like what I do with Marvel Unlimited is what I'm thinking. Where like <laughs> every once sense. in a while, yeah, I'll pick it up and then I'll just catch up on what I've been meaning to catch up on. And so I, I was holding out because there were a bunch of November games coming out that I wanted to check out. So I'm almost to the end of those. Um, like I said, last week I had done Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2. And then this week I grabbed Modern Warfare or not Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which you and I were texting about a little bit last night, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm this is the first Call of Duty game that I've ever been remotely interested in. And to be fair, it's not because of the space setting that the primary campaign is in, it's because of the trailer for Zombies in Spaceland. That if I could just play that, I can guarantee that I would be like playing this game like the moment that we stop recording. Oh, I see. Yeah, I I was kind of let down by this. Out of the three shooters, this was the one I enjoyed the least, which is sad because I was really excited for it based on the trailers and the gameplay footage. And like, for me, it was the setting that really hooked me into it. Like, I, right, I get that. You know, I wanted it to be this cool space epic. And what it ended up being was a normal Call of Duty campaign, but just set in space they they added new things but the new things weren't necessarily that good or that interesting like they have um a spaceship combat but after you play like two minutes of it the entire rest of the game every single like combat encounter you get into is exactly the same and uh. yeah it's just all the space combat feels the same the other thing is that for having such a cool setting in space it's amazing how much of it ends up being turned into just corridor after corridor of kill these guys Uh. and it feels so on rails compared to the other two games that i had just played like titanfall 2 it it kind of is on rails but it doesn't feel like it because they have bigger areas that are open to explore and 
they really do have like um, areas they've created that you have to explore to accomplish objectives in Titanfall 2. And then Titanfall 2, it just does different things with every level. It has, I wouldn't even call them a gimmick, but it would have like mechanics that are unique for each level. Okay, and that makes sense. Yeah. It's it's kind of like where you, those games where you pick up a mechanic and slowly master it over the course of a level and then you put it down and then the next level is a new mechanic that you pick up. Um, Titanfall 2 is that. And then towards the end of the Titanfall 2 campaign, it's bringing all these mechanics back together to show your mastery of them um call of duty infinite warfare it felt like i was on rails it was just shooting down corridor after corridor you never get a very big open area to explore you never feel like you can i don't even know like go out and just explore a little bit or approach it in your own way that that's more what i'm thinking like battlefield one it has these huge open battlefields right and you can approach these in so many ways. Like if you're approaching a city or approaching trenches or whatever, you can approach it in a number of different ways. And I did. Like if I would try one way and I would fail, I would go completely a different way around. Like maybe I would attack from the other side or I would try stealth where I tried like frontal assault or, you know, mix and match. When I was playing Battlefield 1, I really felt like I could play it the way that I wanted to and just keep trying different things. Call of Duty, when I died, it was because like I wasn't undercover enough and I just need to do the exact same thing again in the exact same hallway again to kill the exact same enemies again. Oh. So there was like I love that your I love your text about this. When I ask you how it was going, when you said it was like the shiniest, most polished, soulless shooter ever. And yes. like as soon as you said that I knew what you meant. I knew what that game would feel like to play just with that one sentence. Yeah, it it doesn't have a soul to it. It doesn't feel like there is an author that's driving like a real meaning behind the game, right? It feels like they just took the Call of Duty formula and plugged it into space, but they didn't really push anything. Any of the like big set piece moments or big dramatic moments of the game where it feels like it should have impact they take all the control away from you um. and they like they make you look where they want you to look or they put your ship on autopilot and you can't control it and you just have to watch it's like they don't trust the player enough you know Do you at least get like the active i can't even remember the name of these things i hate them like in tomb raider where you have to press a button at the right oh. time to get through it what are those called no they don't really have those quick time events yeah, quick time yeah. events where even in the big set pieces, they don't do stuff like that to make them mildly interactive. The most that they'll do is have you like hit the melee button or like uh, or jam on one button over and over and over again. Like, oh, hit uh, square. Keeps hitting square. If you hit square enough, maybe you'll do this thing. Oh, look at and that. And that's good game design. And so I played through the entire campaign hoping that it would open up or get better or change. And it didn't. The other thing is. I played this in like four hours, maybe five hours. I beat it last night. I beat it in one night, in one sitting, yeah. no problem at all, beating in that amount of time. So I play first-person shooters for the campaign, so I was very let down. But this isn't to say that it's like a bad game. If you are a Call of Duty person, and you know if you are, right? There are, I'm sure there are listeners that buy Call of Duty every year. They might not even touch the single-player campaign. If they do, they're going to do it like I did in one night and then ignore it forever because they're going to play the multiplayer for the next year. Of course. The multiplayer is still Call of Duty multiplayer. If you like it, you're going to like this game. Um, it didn't look like it was doing a whole lot new from the last one, which was, what, Black Ops 3 or Advanced Warfare? It, I honestly don't know. Yeah, it didn't look like it was doing a whole lot different, but the core Call of Duty multiplayer gameplay is there. So if that's why you pick up your shooters... You can pick this one up safely. Like, you'll like it. It's the same thing, right? Um, that's just not why I go to them. So Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, very mixed feelings for me. Um, after playing all of these shooters, I kind of want to go back and replay Battlefield 1 because it was so amazing for me. That's a game that, based on what you've told me about Battlefield 1, that when it gets super cheap on either GOG.com or Steam or something, like, and I mean super cheap, there's a really good chance that I'll play that because of how you've described it. Well, I didn't even mention, I, I know I told you this in text, but I don't think I mentioned it on the episode last week. Battlefield one is done as a series of vignettes yeah. in different the theaters of war. So you have some stuff that's on the ground, but then there's a whole campaign that's basically flying and like being in the air. 
And then there's a campaign where you are a tank driver, and it's all about dealing with a tank and dealing with the mechanics. And there are some levels where you're a tank. There are other levels where you have to get out of your tank for various reasons that tie into the story. But it's still about the tank. Then there's a, a whole like theater of war that's Lawrence of Arabia, and you are a rebel who's working with him, and you don't get any weapons. You have to steal all of your weapons through playing the level because that's what the rebels did they stole the weapons to be able to fight back and all of these little vignettes hit me super hard especially the tutorial the tutorial is african-american soldiers who are fighting in the trenches when the tutorial starts it says like something about how world war one was super deadly super bloody you are not expected to survive right oh yeah yeah, yeah you did tell me that and I thought that was just trying to drive home the impact of World War One because it was. It was a horrible conflict. But it actually ties into the gameplay of the tutorial. You are put into a soldier with a loadout, and it gives you a couple of controls. It's like, use this stick to move, use this stick to look, and then shoot, right? The very, very basics. And yeah. you play as that character until your trench gets overrun and you die. And then it gives you that person's name the date of birth, date of death, and then it zooms over to another character in a squad nearby with a different loadout, and it gives you a little bit more of the tutorial. It's like, it might give you a guy where you're stuck in a building, and it's like, hit this button to crouch to get out of here, and then you go back into fighting until you die again, and it does the same thing. It does that kind of fade out, and you zoom over to another character. So you get the tutorial through a series of loadouts and a series of characters as they die in front of you, and it, it had a huge impact on me. So that, Yeah, that would make me so sad. Like, that would affect me on a really deeply emotional level that it feel. I'm not sure how I would handle that. I think that's the point. I, I yeah. think that's why Battlefield 1 had such an impact on me is because it was actually doing things that felt uh, impactful. And mm -hmm. oh, that's a cheap way to get out. It impacted me because it felt impactful. It, <laughs> all of the narratives felt very personal in interesting ways. And because of that, it affected me a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there's kind of my summary again of all the shooters I just tried. I, I like Battlefield 1 the most. Um, Titanfall 2, it was cool. They were doing interesting things. Call of Duty let me down. But, again, if you are a shooter fan, you probably know which one you like for the multiplayer, and that's why you're going to buy it. So me talking about the campaigns isn't going to sway you one way or another too much. Besides that, I watched a bunch of TV this week, which normally I don't watch a whole lot of TV. But when a good show gets me, it really gets me. So I started watching The Crown have you seen the trailers for that? Well, I knew that I texted you about it being on Netflix now. I didn't know if you had read it, had watched it yet. Okay, so you did know about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. you were texting me. Um, So I've watched about half of the season, and it's really good. I like it. It's a British drama, and it kind of reminds me of Downton Abbey a little bit, because yeah. some of the time period isn't too far off of that. I don't, I don't know. It just has the same vibe of Downton Abbey, which is a show that I loved. It's this like British costume drama, but it's about the characters and the situations they're in as like high society in Britain. Uh, yeah. So this one is all about the queen and it's about her becoming the queen at a young age. It's the current queen in the world right now. And it, it basically starts in like the 30s, I want to say something like that. But it was good. I, I'm about halfway through it. So I'll weigh in more on that when I finish it probably next week. Yeah, I don't expect it to be very long for you to finish that. No, not at all. And then the the last thing I want to talk about was Westworld, which I finally got around to. It's been on my list. And a lot of people are like, you will like this. And whoa, you guys were right. I loved it. <laughs> it's do you know the premise? I don't. I hear everybody talking about it. And I don't know the first thing about Westworld. Okay, so I was hooked by probably halfway through the first episode. It didn't even take very long. The premise is it, we don't even know what's happening in the outside world, but you assume that it's future technology, right, based on what's happening. And it's essentially an MMO of the Wild West, but it's robots that are playing all the parts of the NPCs that are essentially human. Like, you can't tell the difference between humans and robots. And you pay some extraordinary amount of money to be able to go in here and do whatever you want. So you That's are weird. Like, you are the character, but you are yourself. Like, they equip you with Wild West gear, and they put you on a train, and they send you into Westworld. And it's this huge open world actual physical space full of robots and towns and everything you would expect in the wild west and you can do whatever you want so like you see there there are main characters but you see different users right um basically they call the robots hosts 
and then like the what you would think of as the user or the character or the real people those are the guests okay so it's kind of an mmo but it's kind of like disney world like it's a theme park and you know it's a theme park walking in there does this interest you at all yeah that dadgummit i may end up having to watch this really soon no, it's amazing. This one might make my top five list for media of the year. It's that good. Wow, it's that good? It's that good. It's it's a study of AI, which I love, but it's also a study of like MMO players. And yeah. if you could do whatever you wanted, like it's channeling MMOs, but it's also channeling like GTA because you can do whatever you want here. So there are people who come in and they call them black hats and they just go pure evil. And all they do is is have sex with the prostitute robots and they kill people and they just indiscriminately kill npcs left and right because that's what they want to do with their time there are people who come in and they play the good guy they call them white hats and they want to help everyone they go on quests maybe you're going to get the bandits that have all of these like rewards up you know yeah. like tacked up to the saloon or whatever and then there are people who go in not knowing quite what to expect or they go in as a couple or they go in as a family like there are families in the game that just kind of want to go experience the wild west and not be a good guy bad guy <sighs> do a shootout so there are all of these types of players, you know, that are all of these types of guests, basically. And they're all thrown into this world where they are allowed to do whatever they want and they can't be killed, but they can kind of be hurt is is the general vibe. So, yeah, it does. It, it only took about half an episode to get me. And that sounds fantastic. And I've, I, while you were talking, I muted my mic and pulled up HBO Go to see how many episodes were up because that's completely different than what I thought it was. And also, I, I don't know if you know the way that you had said it, uh, and this may sound really jerky, so edit it out if you need to. Um, white Hat and Black Hat are stereotypes of Western film that you always knew the good guys and the bad guys based on the color of their hats. That that was a really easy way to, you know, just, just telegraph people when you were when film was much simpler white hat and black hat was used came from westerns and the actual color of hats that they wore yeah yeah and i always think about it for hackers because that, those mm-hmm. terms are still used for hackers yep, these for days hackers yeah yeah but westworld is fantastic and i want you to watch it so that we could do entire episodes about it i'm I think I'm caught up. I'm on episode five as we're recording this. There might there have been one a, that came out last night. There was. Episode six is out because I see it on HBO right now. Yeah, so I, I will be watching that one probably tonight then. And also, speaking of videos, I completely forgot until we were just talking now about multiplayer shooters in Call of Duty that BlizzCon was this weekend. Oh, and yeah. they released a new video of Sombra, Sombra, the uh, called Infiltration of the new hero that they're introducing on the PTR this week. Uh, we're recording early this week, guys, so she's not on the PTR yet. But when you listen to it, Sombra will be on the PTR on Overwatch and she looks looks like she's going to be the spy type character from uh, Team Fortress 2 where she's going to have some sort of stealth and I haven't read anything from the floor of BlizzCon people were able to play her on BlizzCon play her at BlizzCon so the video that they released though is what I wanted to just say that you need to go watch is that their animated shorts are always good that they have not put out a bad one yet and the infiltration short for Sombra was fan freaking tastic it really made me want to play this character not because of her mechanics but because of i think i'm going to really like her as a character so go watch infiltration if you haven't have you watched it yet did you get a chance to check out the video i did so i watched the short and the shorts are always fantastic and then i actually went and i looked up the abilities because they posted them for her and she seems like an interesting character she has um like machine gun pistols which is whatever but then her abilities are stealth like she can go invisible right like the spy could and she has um she can throw down like a teleporter beacon anywhere she wants and then she can teleport to it when she wants to so you could okay. throw one down in a safe spot go charge into the enemy and when you're about to die teleport back or so you kind can... of a better version of tracers uh time rewind yeah or you can use it as mobility so you can throw it up somewhere you wouldn't normally be able to get to and then teleport to it so there are oh. multiple ways to use it and then the thing that's really interesting about her is she can hack things so she can hack health packs so the enemy team can't use it but oh, more cool. importantly than that her hack if she targets targets a player they can't use their abilities for a little bit oh that is awesome yeah so 
her ultimate is to hack everybody in an area of effect. So what people are thinking is that a lot of the metagame of Overwatch right now is stacking ultimates. So yeah. if you get stuck and you can't make any progress, your team basically just saves up all your ultimates, and then you go all attack together, and you all hit the Q button and trigger your ultimates. The thing with Sombra is that if she has her ultimate up, she can shut that down because she'll disable all your abilities. So it, it might change the metagame a little bit. Which will be a good thing because it gets super frustrating with that as well. And I've been playing Overwatch a little bit more lately. And while this is going to make me play Overwatch more often, I think, um, I also hit that toxic community again last night. And I think that I may be done except for the uh, except for quick play because they're taking out the what's it called the hero stacking is how they put it that there's not going to be hero stacking in quick play anymore which is the only reason I'm playing competitive right now so I will absolutely be playing quick play almost exclusively after this uh, okay. because the only reason I don't is I hate games where I get on a team with like three junk rats or three Torbjorns or something like that. Like, I just hate it. So that's not fun for me. So I've been playing competitive with that going in. It is probably going to be quick play forever because I really can't stand the people who take this game so seriously. Yeah, I mostly do quick play these days. Um, but as soon as I get into a game, I, I, I hit the P button, which is like the social button that gets uh -huh. you into the menu. And I immediately disable both sets of chat for text and i disable the voice chat so i don't have to ever see anything anybody says and once i started doing that it made the game like a hundred times better i could see that yeah yeah i wish there was a way in the settings to just always turn it off so i never see anything from anyone instead of having to do it manually every game you get into but yeah yeah i, I know they want people to be social but it's just uh, communities get toxic over time and i don't want to deal with that yeah um, exactly where are we at for time oh i do have time for a tangent i played the world right. of warcraft board game this week and i sent you pictures of it right oh my god it looks so insane like i i hope i still have it on my phone because i may post it in the in the show notes just to show you guys how crazy the, that the board looked at the end like it, yeah i don't think i could play this board game honestly oh, it was fun it was fun so i i don't know if i talked about it a whole lot in our board game episode but there are games out there that are epic in scope that take like half a day to play and these are the games that unless you know you can get a group together reliably that would be into this kind of thing it's a waste of money and these kind of games are ones that interest me, but I don't have big enough groups that get together regularly enough to ever make it worth it. So games like Twilight Imperium, right? They're, right. they're just these yeah. epic scope games. So there's a World of Warcraft board game that fits this mold, right? It's epic in scope. And it came out like nine years ago. Like it's maybe not quite nine years ago. It wasn't too long after Vanilla. So oh, it's man. been it's been out of print for a really long time. It was done by Fantasy Flight Games way back in the day, but good luck getting a copy of it now. Um, one of my friends who's big into board games invited me and my brother over because he was doing a World of Warcraft night, and he's like, this is an epic game. It's the only game we're going to play, and it's going to take probably six hours. And we were like, okay, let's do it. So there were six of us that played, and it played like World of Warcraft. It's <laughs> the point <laughs> of the game is you have to kill the world boss and it's kind of determined randomly um, all right you pick a class only one person can ever have one class at a time but the class has all of these abilities that you would recognize from world of warcraft and you work with uh, so so your teams are split into two there are two teams two factions one of you is alliance one of you is horde so you're working with the other players on your team so we had three players on each team and you want to work together to level up as fast as you can to get powerful enough to take on the world boss at the end of the game and it's whichever faction can kill the world boss first wins that's really cool so it's it's a race kind of it's a race to the end of the game but it plays like world of warcraft um you get a bunch of quests that spawn monsters on the map and you have to determine which quest is worth like my time do i think i can kill this guy how much experience and gold and items will he give me and you level up and every time you level up you get to like pick skills and equip it so a lot of it becomes theory crafting, which I always loved because you have this giant stack of cards that are all of your abilities and all of your skills that you can equip throughout the game. And you want to build your character in a way that will be able to take on the end game boss, but you also don't want to cripple your character mid game because then you won't be able to keep killing guys and getting experience. Okay. The main thing is 
it's these two giant boards. We played with the expansion, so we were playing Burning Crusade. And All right, good. By the end of the game, the table, he had like two tables out, and they were literally covered in components. There wasn't room for anything except a couple of glasses of water on that table. Yeah, like it was nuts. No, it was just entirely covered in cards and minifigs and like components and it was so much fun it it was like six hours of game it's not something that i'm going to do a whole lot he doesn't get it out like for table time a whole lot but i had fun doing it and it was really cool i could see how it would be fun but i really don't think that would be one i could ever just make myself play yeah i don't know i i had a really good time with (laughs) do you have any other geekery i think that was it for me i haven't really been doing a lot this week but uh those are the things I've been geeking out about. I mean, Sombra and uh, honestly about acorns. I thought it was super cool. So I've been looking into stocks. Nice. Nice. Okay. Well, that'll about do it for this week. Um, Like we said before, send questions. Last call out for questions before we record an episode next week that you'll see in a couple weeks. Um, but with that, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. And our longer discussions are in the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. Everything is geek2geekcast, guys. Yeah, so you'll be able to find us pretty much everywhere as Geek2Geekcast. Also, if you want to get the email updates, uh, you can also go to geek2geekcast.net and you can tell us what shows you want updates about and they will be delivered to your inbox every single time anyone in our network posts a show. I still blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom, that's green mushroom without the E's, on Twitter. And I blog almost daily at geekfitness.net, and you can find me on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. We've been Void Beige with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.